Good morning, church family. Um, what an incredible announcement that Pastor Victor gave about AB 2943. And that just goes to show you, as uh, Assemblyman um, Evan Lowe was interviewing and talking to pastors and counselors, he also talked to people who, were, who came out of the gay lifestyle. And what a testimony is to see changed lives. And it's, uh, there's no doubt that influenced his convictions. And uh, we praise God for this. What, what an incredible uh, thing that the Lord has done. Today we're concluding our final uh, sermon on the blind man. We've had, this is our third and final sermon. And the title is called Let There Be Light. All right. This is the title of the sermon. And here we're finishing up. Today we are talking about spiritual sight. That's the topic that we're talking about. How does God give one spiritual sight? So let's just pray and let's ask the Lord to bless this time as we worship him by hearing his word preached. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to preach your word, Lord. What a privilege. What a great responsibility and honor. What a joy it is. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would just infuse the sermon with your words, with your power, God, I pray that you would open our hearts to hear from you more so that we would know you more. Father, I just thank you for what's happening with AB 2943, Lord. That you once again demonstrate that you're in control. But as things change, with leaders come and go, with new bills that may come and go, those things continue to change, but you never change, Lord. So, I, Father, I pray we will gain greater confidence in this fact that you never change, that we're called to look to you. So we thank you, Lord. May we gain greater confidence as we hear your, in you as we hear your word preached. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to be at John chapter 9, 34, but before we uh, read the text, just a little review and some background. So Jesus in John chapter 9, at the beginning of John chapter 9, heals a blind man. This blind man was a beggar at the, at the gate of the temple, and this man was born uh, blind. He was never seen the light of day. And Jesus gives him sight and loves on him and comes after him. And and he, this man is starting to see spiritually, physically he can see now. Spiritually he's starting to see a little bit more and more. But you gotta, in the last uh, sermon we've discovered how the, the spiritually blind Pharisees couldn't acknowledge this uh, miracle that God has done, that Jesus has done. To prove that he is the Messiah. They're completely blind to this. His parents, the blind man's parents, were also blind, spiritually blind. You know, they could not acknowledge that Jesus is the one that made their son, who's been born blind, able to see. And the Bible says that because they were fearful of man, they're fearful that they would get kicked out of the synagogue system if they were to acknowledge Christ. So this man gets interrogated, and eventually he gets kicked out of the synagogue system, just like how they threatened. And the blind man was starting to see more, but Jesus reappears in this, in this narrative and comes after the blind man. Okay, and you're going to see this. In the light of the world, that's Jesus, shines brightly in this man's heart. So let's rise as we're in John chapter 9. I hope you brought your Bibles. We're going to start off at verse 34 for a little bit of context. Okay, this is God's word, John 9, 34. They answered him, you were born entirely in sin, and are you teaching us? This is the Pharisees. So they put him out. They kicked him out of the synagogue. Jesus heard that they had put him out and finding him. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? 
Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and, that, and those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, we are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your holy, holy word. Your word is truth, Lord. Help us to love you more through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. In Luke 19.10, Jesus gives us his mission for coming to planet Earth. Okay, he says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save which was lost. I came to seek and save the lost. Just like the shepherd that left the 99 in that parable comes to seek after the sheep that was lost, he comes after this man, this blind man, to save him. Jesus was on a mission to save this man. And this man was ready to believe. God had it prepared since the beginning of time to prepare this man's heart to receive the gospel, to trust in Christ as his Lord and Savior. Be a brand new person. You know, God was doing some spiritual uh, surgeries, removed some spiritual cataracts off of this man's eyes as the legal as his legalism, this whole religious system that this man grew up under, he sat at the temple begging for 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 gifts and support, let him down. They, they condemned him as a sinner. Who sinned? This man or his parents? In verse 17, as the Pharisees interrogated him, this man says, He's a prophet. Jesus is a prophet. So he's starting to see a little bit more. Minimally, he's from God. Who else could heal like this? He he proclaims to the, the Pharisees. Okay, so he's starting to see a little bit more. His family abandoned him. They go, well, he's old enough. Ask him. Right? He didn't have his family support, so he lost that. And eventually he lost the whole Jewish system as he was kicked out of the synagogue system. This man had no more barriers. He had no more, nothing to hang his hat on anymore. And how else could he respond now? And so God was preparing this man's heart to trust in Christ. So this man became a believer. He saw, he had spiritual eyes, spiritual vision to see Jesus as the Messiah, his Savior. How do we know? How do we know this for sure? Okay, let's look at verse 38 here. Okay, and he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Lord, I trust you as my Lord and Savior, and he worshiped him. The issue is worshiped. In the original language, uh, proskuneo, this, this carries the idea of he prostrated himself, he's on his knees. I could see this man knee, on his knees worshiping Jesus to give honor and value. Anytime this word is used in the Gospel of John, it's to talk about or commemorate divine worship. This man is in no unclear terms acknowledging Jesus as God. He sees him clearly for who Jesus is. And but the, but the Pharisees are around. Okay, this wasn't just a one-on-one private conversation. There was a couple, the Pharisees were everywhere on the temple mount, okay? And there are, some, there are some Pharisees that are around. And in verse 39, Jesus says, For judgment I came into the world. And you say, well, Pastor Rocky, I thought you just said, I came to seek and save the lost, Jesus said. What do you mean he came to judge the world? Isn't that a contradiction? Turn to John 3 here for a sec, quick second here. John 3, for more clarity on what Jesus is saying. John 3, chapter 18. This is after the famous, for God so loved the world uh, 
passage, but verse 18, following that, Jesus says, He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He doesn't believe in Jesus. This is a judgment. This is the judgment that Jesus is talking about. This is the judgment that the light, Jesus, has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light. For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. People who are exposed to Christ, the light of the world, do not believe. The Bible says clearly that because they love their sin. Jesus is the light and exposes the darkness. They don't want to have anything to do with that. They love their sin. They're attached to their sinful ways, sinful thought patterns, sinful way of living. So therefore, they reject Christ. That's the judgment. And what you do in your response to the presentation of Christ will reveal, are you in the kingdom of light or in the kingdom of darkness? So this is where Jesus draws a line in the sand when he says, I judge, for judgment I came into the world. Are you with me or are you with the kingdom of darkness? And by how you respond in your heart to the claims of Christ that he is God, he is Lord, he is your Savior, will determine if you're on in the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness. In verse 40 and 41, I want to drill down a little bit here. Okay, I'm going to take time to reread 40 and 41. Those are the Pharisees, back to John chapter 9. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? Are you talking about us? Surely you can't be talking about us. Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. What Jesus is referring to and teaching on, and I believe warning the Pharisees, he's talking about spiritual humility here. Jesus is pointing out to the Pharisees that they are absolutely spiritually blind. They claim to know the way to God the Father, but they are absolutely blind. He's pointing out to them their spiritual pride. And... Jesus said, it's better to be blind? What does he mean by that? You know, the world, it's an upside-down kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, where our world values power, authority, wealth, strength, knowledge. This is all the things that the Pharisees valued. Okay? But Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of light is an upside-down kingdom. The blind think, they, think that they are good. I'm not so bad. I, I, keep, I keep the rules. The seeing know that they are wretched. The blind think they are worthy. The seeing know how unworthy they are. The blind think eternal life is earned. Okay, man's merit. The seeing know that eternal life is a gift. The blind seek God's commendation. Good job. Man, I can see why you deserve to come into my kingdom. Pats on the back from God. The seeing seek God's forgiveness. You see, it's, it's in our own brokenness that we truly come to the cross. Right? If we didn't know that we're sick, why would we ever go to the doctors? Acknowledging our wretchedness, acknowledging our sinfulness is the first step in seeing Christ as Lord. That's the first step, seeing our own sinful wretchedness. How without Christ, we're damned. There is no hope. But because of Christ, thank you, you've given me everything. Matthew 5, 3 says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Kingdom of heaven, excuse me. 
Blessed are the poor. That means those are spiritually broken people. Like, I, I know I don't cut the standard, Lord. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm struggling with sin. I know I have these crazy thoughts. God, save me. So this man was ready. <clears throat> this man was ready, but at the same time, Jesus was pointing out to the Pharisees, they were absolutely in a darkened, blind position. Now, as I, as I was studying this text here in John 9, uh, 35 to 41, the c- c- conclusion to the blind man, the Lord brought to mind the crippled man from John chapter 5. Okay, just a little bit of review. We went over him maybe a year ago or so, but the crippled man. This man, the Bible says, was crippled for 38 years. And his life was laying on a pallet. He was laying on a pallet, begging outside the temple, similar to this blind man, begging for financial support. And he was crippled for 38 long years, and he was a poor beggar. Just like the blind man, he was the lowest of the lows in the society of, of, of the Jews. And he was just sitting outside the pallet. And what was his response to Christ? John 5, 14 says this. This was his response. <clears throat> Afterward, Jesus found him. Just like how Jesus goes to look for the blind man, Jesus comes looking for this man who was healed of his, uh, 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 from being crippled. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well, physically well, not spiritual well. This word talks about physical wellness. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse will happen to you. What a warning. Okay? The man went away, because this is response to Jesus, went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well, physically well. All right, look what the response. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. This man, I believe, was absolutely blind and turns Jesus into the Pharisee. He ingratiates himself, endears himself to the Pharisees, saying, hey, that's the man who broke the Sabbath. What would possess a man to have that type of response, right? And for the blind man, we, many of us go, wow, that's incredible. This is a life-changing event. That just goes to show you, just because you experience a miracle doesn't mean you're going to be a follower of Christ. Now, who knows how this, uh, this crippled man ended up before he died, but right then and there, he is not ready to affirm Christ as his Lord. I mean, these two men were similar Okay, they are both time, long time, lifelong afflictions of being crippled and being blind. Both were poor beggars. Both experienced life-changing physical miracles. Both understood the temple system. They understood the Pharisees. They understood how the, the religiosity of the day clearly. And Jesus comes looking for both of them. The love of Christ comes after both of them. And they had different responses. However, I believe both men worshipped. Both men were worshiping, and worship is the issue. Worship is the issue. How you respond to Christ, do you worship him or do you not worship him? And both men worshiped. What I mean by this is this. The object of their worship was different. Where the blind man was clearly worshiping Jesus, Lord, I have nothing. You're all I got. You're all I need. I want to worship you. You're my God. Who else could do this? Who else comes after me when I get kicked out and everyone turns on me? You're the only one, Lord. All right? Or the crippled man, what he was worshiping is a fear of man. He trusted in man-made religion, the pharisaical system to save him more than the Lord himself. How do we know today at Evergreen SGV 
at 11 o'clock service as you're sitting in those chairs know that you are a true believer? Isn't that the crit- most critical of questions? How do I know if I'm saved? How do I know if I'm in the kingdom of light and I'm actually seeing or am I still veiled in the kingdom of darkness? How do we know this? I believe it's an issue of love, okay? Are we able to see Christ as the greatest treasure of all? Is he truly, is Jesus truly your treasure? If so, you'll live your life accordingly. Illustration of this is this, um, Coach Carroll, you know, Coach Carroll is a master motivator and any good coach knows how to motivate his players and his coaches, all right? He's a massive football season, is a long haul, it's physical, mentally, physically, everything's challenged. You're putting your body, your mind on the line every week, all right? So how do you motivate people to go to those extreme levels? You could say money, that's part of it, but really, once you sign that contract, it's, you know, it's there. But where, what motivates a man to go above and beyond? And what Coach Carroll talked about is this. Whoever or whatever you love, you will protect with all your might. What do you mean by this? He meant this. He, he used illustrations. If you love your little brother, you're going to do everything you can to protect him from, from the harms and, and evils. You're going to warn him. You're going to protect him. You're going to teach him. You're going to, be, you're going to spend time talking to him. You're going to try to protect him. And, and, and the one thing that we came into agreement is why we got together is for the game of football. And in essence, we, he tried to tap into each player and coach, how much do you love the game? Not what you could get out of the game, but how much you actually love football. Because if you love football, you're going to do everything you can. You're going to study properly. You're going to take care of your bodies. You're going to get rest. You're going to eat. You're going to stay out of trouble. You're going to stay out of the news. You're going to be committed to your craft to understand what you've got to do, your technique, your scheme. You would be consumed with the game. And I've seen that example all over the place. There are, I was surrounded by people who showed me what it looks like to love and, and worship, really. So whatever or whoever we love, we simply obey. We will protect that. We will do everything it takes to honor whatever who or whatever we love. In John, 1 John 5, 3, Okay, the Apostle John writes, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. If you love me, you therefore obey me. This is how, this is fruit. This is evidence that you truly do believe. Now, let's be clear again, okay? Obeying does not save you. However, obeying is a byproduct of fruit and evidence that you actually do love Christ, right? This is how it is. We know how this works. We have friends, we have family, we have events, we have activities that we love, we're totally committed to. Do you have that fruit showing up in your life? If so, praise God. What an encouragement. If you don't, you may have to do business with the Lord himself. Okay, what else matters in the end? So even in the secular world, we understand what it means to love something or someone. Okay, we even understand that even at the secular level. So why were the two responses so different then? Okay, why, 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 do, why do some people see and are, why are some people still blind? Maybe someone's sitting right next to you right now. Maybe perhaps you've been thinking about and, and, and praying for somebody for a long time. Well, I'm gonna, I did some studying here, okay? <laughs> just, as the topic is on vision and seeing. So I just studied how, does, how do people see physically? How does God allow light to pass through the eyes and, and see images? How am I able to see the congregation right now? 
And my studies showed me that physical light actually passes through the eye, which, through the cornea, which is the outer part of the eyeball, and it goes through the lens. And an image is, is shown on the back of our eyeballs in an area called the retina. All right, from the retina, the information is sent along some optic nerves that goes through the brain, in the back of the brain, and we're able to see. That's how it works. So there's a whole network of incredible things that God has designed for allow us to see physically. Now, this is all how physical a vision happens, but how does God give man spiritual sight? All right, this is the key. This is what we're talking about. We're not talking about just how do we see on the physical realm. We want to see on the spiritual realm. This is the question of all right here. How does this actually happen? And let's turn to 2 Corinthians. This is, this is, you're going to love this. You're absolutely going to love this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul, this is in the, this is in the uh, New Testament, turns to the right from John, a few books. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is all that same language of blindness and seeing and light. It's all there. Okay, the Bible is incredible. It gives you the interpretation of what the Bible means. It's, okay, 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's start with verse 3 here. And even if our gospel's veiled, there it is, limited vision, it is veiled to those who are perishing, to those who are unbelieving, to those who are dying. In whose case the God of this world, Satan, has blinded, there it is, blinded the minds of the unbelieving. There's spiritual sight is un- cannot see. So they may not see, there it is again, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. They are not able to see Christ for who he is. He is God, the Bible says. Verse 5, for we do not preach ourselves. We do not preach our own ideas. We don't, I, I don't preach my life. I don't, we don't preach uh, man's wisdoms, anything else. We preach Christ, the Bible says here. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Now, verse 6. This is going to make perfect sense to everyone in here. For God, who said light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. What Paul's saying right here is this. Just like God spoke creation into existence from the beginning, Genesis 1, chapter, uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, let there be light, God said. Out of darkness, boom, there's light. Just as powerful and incredible of a miracle that it was to create everything that we see, Paul equates that to the miracle that takes place within our hearts, that we're able to see Christ as God. It's a completely supernatural thing. It's all about grace. It has nothing to do with us. All we are called to do is simply believe and to acknowledge the light that's been lit in our hearts. It's all about God. And our job is to herald Christ, talk to people about Christ, live out the life that Christ has called us to live. See, what happened here to this man is this. This is just like a miracle, just like the miracle of creation. Jesus makes new seeing eyes out of dirt. Remember in John chapter 9? Jesus spat on the dirt and made clay and put it in his eyes. This man's eyes never worked. Bible says he was born blind. Jesus gave him brand new working eyes out of mud. Doesn't that remind you of creation itself, how man was created? 
But what happened was this. Not only did he give them brand new optic, uh, uh, optic nerves that go to the uh, back of the brain, the occipital lobe to see, he gave them spiritual optic nerves that don't go to the head but goes right to his heart and he understood that Christ is his Lord. You see, the fact that we know who Christ is intellectually isn't enough. The fact that we can see Christ in the scriptures and, and acknowledge this in our minds isn't enough. If Christ isn't Lord and real and living in our hearts, if we actually believe with, with the being of who we are, we're still spiritually blind. We're just seeing with our physical eyes. This is an absolute spiritual endeavor that takes place within us. Are you able to see God in the face of Christ? When you read the text, when you talk, when you think of Christ, are, do you know that this is God that you're dealing with? Your creator. Let there be light, God said. The man was able to see. He had spiritual eyes. He was able to see Jesus as God. And God graced him as if Jesus pulled back his skin to show him who he is. I'm God. Where to the rest of the unbelieving Pharisees, he was just a man. And not only that, they saw him as opposition. So let's, let's, let's zero in here a little bit, okay? John 9, 37. Let's go back to John 9. John 9, 37 says this, Jesus. The, in, in 36, he, uh, the man answered, Who is he, Lord, or who is he, sir? The blind man asked, Who is the Son of Man, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him in verse 37, You have both seen him? And he is the one who's speak, talking with you. Right then and there, boom, his eyes were opened up. He acknowledged soon after that. He, he, he says, I believe, and he starts worshiping Jesus. What other response could this man have? That miracle, let there be light, happened right in that moment. And there he was, worshiping the Lord. This is a creative miracle that takes place for everyone who becomes a Christian. Everyone who's saved out of, out of the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, it's a created miracle. The Bible says, uh, in Christ, you are a new creation. It's a brand new, we're a brand new creation. And salvation is a complete work of God. We have nothing to do with it other than believing. Okay, I, I think this calls us to just treasure what has God done for us. I have nothing. I, can, I can't even claim any part to this, to, to being saved. God is the one that's shown this miracle in my heart. Now, going back a little bit in John 9, the question was asked by his disciples, why was this man healed? Okay, and Jesus says, so that the works of God could be performed in him, so that God could show himself through this man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pose a question to us now. Why are we saved? Why are you saved? Same answer, so that the works of God could be per performed in us, so that the glory, the light of the gospel, gospel could be shown through us. That's why, to give God glory. God saved you and me so that we could be in, shine the light of Christ in a dying and dark world. We are surrounded with a bunch of blind people who are headed towards eternal destruction, who are living their lives absolutely blind and in darkness. They think they see, but they don't see. We know God has lit that light in us. Let there be light in you. And when we understand this, what a miracle. Salvation is the greatest miracle you could ever experience. 
So whenever anybody comes to know the Lord, oh, someone came to know the Lord. Oh, that is, wow, God, did you do that? What a miracle. One believed while the other denied Christ. You know, and what this calls for us is we need to keep praying. We need to keep praying for those who are lost. You know, and as, as I'm just preaching this message, I'm just curious to ask you, who has God brought to mind in your life? Was it, is it an aging parent? Is it, some chil- is it some wayward children that you have? Is it a longtime coworker? Is it the, the guy or gal that you work out with at the gym who's an awesome person, but they don't know Christ? Is it your neighbor that you wave to every morning and, and say hi to? Who are the people in your lives that God brings to mind right now? The Spirit of God brings to mind right now, like this people, this person needs to know Christ. I've been evangelizing to this person. I've been witnessing to this person. I've been showing my love to this person. But I want to give you a little bit of word of encouragement here, okay? I love evangelism. I, I, I feel like that's just kind of naturally who I am. But if salvation hinged on my delivery of the gospel, other than my, the gospel presentation being accurate and complete, okay? But if it hinged on my delivery, how I looked at somebody, maybe the timing of when I shared the gospel, I'd be a complete wreck. If someone's salvation hinged on me, I'd be a complete wreck. The only thing that we're called to do is just live out the gospel and preach the gospel when we get a chance, clearly and completely. And afterwards, you pray, and before you pray, during your prayer, because at the end of the day, it's God who does the transformation. God is the one that spoke light into existence. Let there be light. Right? So this is some encouragement. Pray for these people. Keep praying for your son. Keep praying for your daughter. Keep praying. God is the one. Just be faithful to Christ. Keep loving on your people. Keep praying for your parents, your aging parents, where you feel like time is running out. I, I just, and as, as, as I'm preaching today, you know, I just want to take this opportunity. Perhaps God has spoken light into your heart today. As you hear about Christ being preached today, perhaps the light has just sparked and blown up in your heart. And you go, whoa, I get it now. Lord, I see how wretched I am. Lord, I see you are God and you died for my sins. Perhaps this is the day that you just see this light emanating out of your heart. And perhaps you've been coming here for years, just coming and, and, and just investigating, or you had this different version of Christ in your mind. Perhaps you didn't know that, you know, Christ is Lord of your life. Since you love him, you obey him. Perhaps this is the day where, like, you, you, you're saying, wow, God, I get it now. I get it. I want you. I want all of you. I want to be clearly in the kingdom of light, your kingdom. Well, this is a great opportunity today because we get to take communion as a church family. And perhaps taking communion will be your first act of obedience to show not necessarily to the Lord, but to prove to yourself that you want to obey the Lord, that he is your Lord. And today we get to take communion, and what communion is, my brothers and sisters, as you know, is is to commemorate the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Christ's broken body represented in the bread. Christ's shed blood represented in the wine or the juice. 
And Jesus, our Lord, said, hey, take this in remembrance of me. He's commanded, he's ordained, he's called us to do this in remembrance of him. Taking communion doesn't save you. Simply believing and acknowledging Christ as Lord that saves you. But this, what a great opportunity to respond in obedience. The only thing that we ask you is that you do believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you're a guest, you belong here, we're glad that you're here. We ask that you are a true believer of Christ before you take communion. Bible says to take communion with a, with a worthy heart and not to take a, a communion with, not in, in an unworthy manner. So make sure our hearts are ready to prepare to worship him. This is your opportunity to worship the Lord by obeying him. So let's pray as we ask the Lord to bless this time of communion. And we get to do this together as a church family. Our whole church family here at Evergreen SUV. Jesus' church family here at Evergreen SUV. Isn't that incredible? Let there be light. What else do you need to know? God is in control. AB 2943 or salvation or creation of the universe. God has always been in control. Let's not ever forget that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time to preach a word. Lord, I just pray for those right now who are thinking about loved ones or people or acquaintances that they have that been brought to mind by you, Lord, that need to come to you that, and, and acknowledge you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior. I want to encourage the church family right now I'm going to give you some space right now. I want you to pray to the Lord. Who has God brought to mind that needs to come to know the Lord? Do it right now. Participate in the act of salvation. God is the one who does it. But I'm going to give you some time right now. Pray in, in the quietest of your heart. Take it to the Lord, the one who said, let there be light. Father, by your grace, allow us to live out the gospel. Father, by your grace, allow us to proclaim faithfully the message of the gospel. The good news that canceled out the bad news that we're sinners headed for judgment. The good news that says, Jesus, that you became a man, fully God, fully man, lived the perfect life, and you took on God's wrath, God, your Father's wrath, the Father's wrath, so that you could forgive us of our sins, so that we could be your brother, we could be part of the kingdom of light. And we acknowledge that you died and rose again three days later, and we believe that you are our Lord and Savior. So, Father God, I pray for these that the saints have offered up, the names that they've offered up. We pray for a miracle to take place. Let there be light shining brightly in their hearts. And let them acknowledge and give you glory. We're a bunch of clay pots, but you, Lord Jesus, you're shining through us. May you use us to evangelize the lost. May you use us to expand your kingdom. May you use us to edify one another, love one another here at Evergreen SGV. So, Father, I thank you for this opportunity to take communion. You had a master plan from the very beginning. Even before you spoke, let there be light, you had a plan to get your people back through your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, broken and, and bled for us. So God, I pray you prepare the saints as we come to take your communion here. Prepare hearts to come in a worthy manner, in a heart, a worshipful heart. So Father, I thank you. Please bless this time of communion, Lord.
Thank you, Lord. And if there's anyone that has accepted Christ for the first time, I call on you by the authority of the Word of God to come and take communion and to commune with the Lord. And may this be your first act of obedience. May this encourage you, Lord, today. In Jesus' name, amen.